Two weeks. We did two weeks about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that incredible verse that tells us that he was, that for unto us a child is given, and his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Before that, if you're new with us, and this is relevant to what we're looking at today, we went through the book of Mark. We did 16 chapters in 16 weeks, so one chapter per week for about four months. And that was an awesome time to go through God's Word. God's Word is amazing and powerful, as I hope you will hear me say over and over and over. And as we did so, now it's obvious I cannot thoroughly, nor can any pastor thoroughly cover a whole chapter of God's Word in 35 minutes in a sermon, but uh, I did my best to try to hit the highlights as we went through the book of Mark, one chapter per week. And as we move forward into 2020, I'd like to kind of use that same format for a while, and that is use a particular favorite chapter, maybe a story in a couple of different Sunday mornings, but generally a chapter of God's Word, and look at that together. So this morning, if you have your Bible, turn to toward the end of the book. I think it's number 58 out of 66 books, the book of Hebrews. If you can find that toward the back of the book, and turn to chapter 11. I want us to look at that together. Some of my friends give me grief when I say that something is one of my favorites because I say everything in God's Word is my favorite. But, but truly, this is one of my, if I had to pick a top five list of favorite chapters in God's Word, this would be right there at the top. It is an awesome chapter all about one key word, and that is the word faith. You're going to see, as we read through it together in just a moment, you're going to see stories that some are flowing from one to the next. A father passes on something to his children and them to their children and them to their children and so forth. Other times you'll see in this chapter stories that are separated by hundreds of years from one person to the next. But it's all put together or tied together with the common denominator about this word faith. What is faith? Well, the very first verse of the chapter tells us the definition of it, which we'll see in just a minute. But I want us to look through it together, study it together, let God's Word speak to us, because His Word speaks for itself. You really don't need me or another pastor to tell you God's Word. Um, The reason I stand up and talk is to, one, uh, just help us read through it and kind of keep us on the same page, but also to maybe answer or address some of the questions that might come up. Sometimes there are parts that we're not sure, what, what does that mean? Or there are things in a chapter that we will look at or a verse that apply to or are connected to something else elsewhere in God's Word, and I'll try to help you see that as well. But my prayer would be that God would, would call your name, beckon to you as we read this or other chapters that you would hear His voice, you would hear His invitation in your own heart and soul of Him saying, I want to do this with you, not just on Sunday mornings. I mean, whether it be Scott or somebody else preaching, that's, that's good, that's a nice place to start. But I want to, this is Him talking to you, I hope, Him saying, I want you to spend time with me every day in this book that I have written for you, this love letter that I have given to you. So I hope that you'll find uh, that calling, and you'll hear that, and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, so forth, you'll go, hey, let's look at Hebrews 11 some more. Scott only talked about part of it. Let, let's, let's talk more about or research more of this or just pray through this or that part as well. But before we begin, how about this? Would you bow your head, close your eyes, and let me lead us in, in a prayer. Here it is. Lord, our prayer is simply, I hope we can all pray this prayer together. Lord, I want to have heart to receive 
to hear what you want us to hear. I want to have ears to hear it, eyes to see it, but mostly, again, a heart that will receive whatever you want for me in your word, whether it be today or at any other point when I'm reading your holy word, listening to a sermon, or just reading on my own time, whatever it looks like. Lord, help me to be a sponge and to take it in and to allow you to speak to me about whatever you want to say, whether it's convenient or comfortable for me isn't really relevant Whether it matches what I've thought before isn't necessarily relevant. I want to hear what you say, Lord. I want to know what you say to me, what you want me to do in my life, how to honor you more, how to walk closer with you in 2020 and and whatever time I have on this earth remaining. Lord, I want to honor you in the details of my life. So as we look at this chapter together this morning, Lord, would you please speak to us and give us eyes to hear eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you would want for us. And we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people together said, amen. Amen. You know, the most important, I've said this before, but the most important 18 inches in the world is the 18 inches from here to here, from your head to your heart. And if you don't earnestly pray prayers like what we just prayed and say, Lord, help me to, to hear it the way you want me to, you run the risk of becoming the stereotypical Pharisee that might know a lot. You can come and learn and listen and even memorize the whole Bible for that matter. Yet if you don't allow the word to go from here to here to make that 18-inch so important journey, you can learn a lot, but if you don't apply it or it doesn't get to your heart, then it doesn't do you much good. So that's, that's the prayer. Let's look at it together. It is not easy for me, but I'm going to read this whole chapter without commenting until the end. That's hard for me because I want to pause and talk about things as we go. But let's just read through it together, and then we'll look at some of the highlights and and things together in a moment. You can follow along on the screen, or if you have a Bible, of course. Hebrews 11 begins like this. Now, faith, there's our key word, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that, can, that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, an, an, as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. 
And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when, test, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offering, offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of, his, each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he, as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months at King's Edict because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the King's Edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible, by faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to talk about Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies." Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about it in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. 
They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Hebrews 11. I love it. That inspires me. It convicts me, but it it fires me up. I hope you enjoy that as well. It is an incredible chapter. And again, I can't begin to explain or talk about everything in there, but what an incredible chapter from the very first verse that gives us the definition of faith, which again is what? What did it say? Being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. From that verse to just, you know, six verses in, we see that great verse about the doctrine of faith in the sense that the Bible tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. So important to understand these things. From these verses to the recapping of a whole bunch of great stories. I mean, incredible stories. I love the stories in the Bible. They are amazing. And the writer of Hebrews, who, by the way, we don't know for sure who the writer of Hebrews was, but whomever it was, maybe it was the Apostle Paul, maybe it was somebody else, whoever it was tells us at least a short little recap of all these incredible stories, all of which are great sermons in and of themselves. Now, each of these is incredible, but I just want to mention a couple of highlights. Um, First of all, the writer of Hebrews begins at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was God. I mean, no, no, that's John. He says, in the beginning, uh, um, He created the heavens and the earth. And we need to understand that as the writer of Hebrews is saying that, this, while it may not be always popular in our world today, is the truth. God created the heavens and the earth. It is not about the Big Bang. No matter what we are taught or told, whether it be on the television or in a classroom or in some kind of scientific debate, God's Word tells us truth and truth only. And we need to stand on that. You know, a lot of times you'll hear news anchors today or even teachers or scientists tell us other things. And while skeptics are growing in number and while they're proliferation of untruth is becoming something that people are just starting to swallow and receive and believe and just trust that 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 must be the truth. God's Word is the truth. And praise God, there are a lot of wonderful um, school teachers and politicians and news anchors and scientists that do believe in God's Word. But ultimately, while we listen to their insight and perspective, we need to make sure we go to the real source, the book itself. And I want to inspire, encourage, and, and motivate you all to join me and, and our elders and, and the leadership of our church and say, God's Word is the most important thing that has ever been written, and I want to make sure I align my life. I let my life line up with His Word. And that's what I need to focus on. So, again, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So it takes faith to believe in the Bible, yes, but it's not blind faith. Make sure you understand the difference. It is not ignorant faith. Some of the most highly educated and brilliant minds in our world's history totally believe and and ascribe to what Scripture teaches. They have faith in what the Bible teaches. And it's for great reason, for logical reason. In fact, if you ever want to know more about that kind of stuff and need help, let me just help you with that. Come ask me. I would love to, or you can probably find these Um, these pieces of advice from others as well that have studied. But there are all kinds of great books in the context of apologetics, which just means standing up for what we believe, substantiating the truth of God's Word. For example, Norman Geisler wrote a book that says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. A powerful book. I mean, and, and he's not 
just being sarcastic. He's being honest with saying there is a reason to believe in the Bible. And he's not alone. There are others like uh, former atheist turned Christian Lee Strobel who wrote the book called The Case for Faith. Another one called The Case for Creator, The Case for Christ. Uh, Timothy Keller wrote one of my favorites called Reasons for God. Fantastic books. And I want to encourage you to dig into those if you need to. But, but from this point early in the chapter of Hebrews 11, where the writer talks about creation and then some other stories about the early part of the book of Genesis, including uh, the story of Abel, who was killed by his brother Cain, and then Enoch, who is, by the way, trivial pursuit deal here. He's one of only two people to never die, uh, along with, um, along with uh, uh, Elijah. And then stories about Noah, which again is a great and awesome story, a story I'll preach about before too long down the road here. But from there, this chapter goes to talking about stories that happen later in the book of Genesis, like the story of Abraham and his son Isaac, whom, whom Abraham almost sacrificed, even though God had told him, through this, through this child, you're going to have descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. And Abraham was told by God, I want you to sacrifice that son anyway. And Abraham almost did, was willing to do so, but God stopped him at the last moment and provided a different lamb. And anyway, from that story to so many others about that son Isaac and his son Jacob and his son Joseph and, and on and on the stories go, all of these. And then the chapter jumps ahead uh, quite some time to the story of Moses and his parents who had faith and then Moses himself who grew up to have great faith. And this story is found in the book of Exodus, which is when God used Moses to lead his people on a great exodus out of Egypt to the promised land. And verse 24 tells us why, he, why Moses did what he did. I mean, he was the son of a, well, he was a Hebrew slave child, but then he was raised by um, an Egyptian princess and raised to be one of the Egyptians, and yet he left all that behind, Scripture says, to go and do what God told him to do, partly because he lost his temper one day and killed a, a, an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew, but also, more importantly, because of what verse 24 says, which we already read, that says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose, chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. Because, and I love this, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater or as greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Because he was sure of what he hoped for, certain of what he did not see. He had faith in God. And that's what God's Word is trying to inspire all of us to be as well. People like Moses and all these others, people who, who had a foresight to look ahead and to focus on the things they did not fully understand, but trusted in with faith anyway. But after 40 years of being a lowly shepherd in the hills, God called, God called Moses back to Egypt at the age of 80. I find that really interesting. In other words, if you're 80 years old and you think it's time to retire or, you know, I've been retired for 15 years or something like that, hey, be prepared. God may be just wanting you to get started. I mean, that's what Moses was like. He was at age 80 that he began his real ministry, which began with defying Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the planet at the time, on behalf of God. God, or, yeah, God told Moses to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. It is time to end this time of slavery and I want them to go to the promised land and 
So God used Moses in this way, and this story, and then the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, which is in and of of itself an amazing story, which took 40 years for them to get to the promised land and all that. But eventually then, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, they crossed the Red Sea. They eventually watched the walls of Jericho, which was the land of giants. They watched those walls and those giants fall. I mean, I tell you what, this just makes me want to read the whole Bible, or at least Genesis and Exodus again, because it is full of incredible stories. And I hope that maybe this will make you go, yeah, I want to go home and read more about that one. I forget the details of whichever one of those kind of stuck in your mind. But the Bible is awesome. That's my point. Come on, somebody, somebody say amen to that. The Bible is awesome, and I just want to inspire you, encourage you to say, man, I want to go home and read more of that and study that and live by that. And from there, the writer of Hebrews says, and what more shall I say? I don't even have time to talk about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith did all these wonderful things. God did great things through these people. And again, the key word is faith. Faith. They had faith. And I feel the same way. I can't begin to talk about all this, but I want to tell you something, and that is this. These stories are real. There is a thought among some. I've heard people ask about this. I've heard from others of you that have said, yeah, a friend of mine asked me, do you really believe that? I mean, aren't those stories, I mean, you know, some of that stuff probably is real in the Bible, but a lot of that's probably fairy tale, right? No. That is God's Word. These are true stories. Yeah, is it crazy that, that, that God would call Noah to build a boat and that it would take him 100 years or so or 120 years to build the boat even though it had never rained before and that God would call all the animals to him and that this thing would float and then the whole earth would be covered with water? That's crazy, isn't it? It's hard to believe, but it's true. It is not a fairy tale. None of the stories in Scripture are fairy tales. And I think we need to understand that and let these, these stories inspire us and amaze us and lead us down paths of walking closer and closer with the Lord all the time. So I want to encourage you, you know, turn off Dish Network like I did last year, maybe. Or, or you know, get rid of Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is, especially Voodoo. That's a terrible one. Don't have that on your TV. I've given Joel grief about that earlier because he said, you can't be a Christian and watch Voodoo. He goes, but anyway, but I guess... In that context, it's okay. But anyway, but turn these things off. Even the Hallmark Channel, turn it all off. Because the best story, I know, I know. I was, <laughs> I didn't know that I was going to get that reaction. I was, tr- I was trying, I was trying to slip that one in for my wife. Because I, no more. It's over. Yeah. Now, my point would be, that, now, all right, full disclosure, I do plan to go home this afternoon and watch football. So there you go. You know, I, I, don't, I don't read the Bible 24-7, and I'm not saying that anybody has to read it 24-7 and be a monk and hide in a cave and never come out and only do such things. But what I'm trying to say is the Bible is awesome. The best stories in the world are not told by Hallmark or anybody else. They are told by Almighty God. And they are in His holy word. And I want to encourage you. I think God wants to tell us all, pick up the book. Study the book. It is the best thing this world has ever been given in terms of something in print. We need to study and read and love the book. And I tell you what, the more you read it, the more you'll enjoy reading it, the more you'll go, man, that stuff is awesome. I want to read some more of that. And maybe get into groups with other people and read it together with them. Because it is the holy, inspired Word of God, meaning God-breathed. 
The Bible tells us that. 2 Timothy 3 says, all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. He gave it life. This is not just a book like, like, this is just a book. This is the book. This is God's holy Word, inspired, breathed, given life by Almighty God. And we need to understand that and value that. So, what do all these stories in this awesome chapter have in common? What's all this about? How can you take that whole chapter and make a point that we can grab onto and go home with? How does this affect my life, you might say? In 2020, what do I need to know about this that we just read that affects the way I live life today? Good question. Fair question. And I think it's pretty obvious. I hope it is. And that is that these are all stories that have this common denominator together. It is, there are stories about people that lived their life with faith in Almighty God as their compass. That was what they focused on. That's what we need to focus on. And this faith led them to action. It was not just a faith that was something in their head only. It, it made the distance down to their heart, and then it led to their feet. Their feet moved, and they lived life. You don't earn your salvation by action, but faith without works is dead, James tells us. We need to make sure that our faith is an active faith. And these are stories about people who recognized also, I love this, I hope you saw it, they are people that recognized that they're just passing through, that they were kind of like those in our country with a green card whose real citizenship is elsewhere, but they're here for however long to do this or that on this, in, this, in this country. That's fine. Our government gives them a green card. We should see ourselves as people holding a green card while we're on this earth because we're not really citizens of this earth. This is on earth to temp home. It's a temporary place. Repeatedly, the Bible compares life on earth to temporarily living in a foreign country. This planet is not your permanent home or your final destination, and it is so important to understand that. It's just a brief waypoint on your way to your real home. The Bible uses some really interesting terms, including a couple we saw right here. I looked it up this, this week and found some others as well. But over and over, the Bible gives us some interesting words that we should see ourselves as. Words like, th these are things that we are called based on this concept. We're called aliens, pilgrims, foreigners. We saw that here. Uh, strangers, visitors travelers. Do you see the common denominator here, the thread? David said in Psalm 119, he said, I am but a foreigner on earth. And Peter said, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. David also said in Psalm 39, he said, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. It is so important, friends, that we learn to understand these things, that we not get carried away with the focus of my 80 years or my 90 years or whatever it may be. It's still a blink of an eye. And we need to live life with that idea. We need to live life with, with fuzzy focus. Because we're not really focused on this world. We're focused on the one that's coming. That's what matters most. It's a wise prayer, what David just prayed there in Psalm 39. We should all pray that. Lord, remind me, and my, and remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and, my, and how fleeting my life is. If you have a piece of paper, do you have a piece of paper right now? Maybe a pencil? If you do, would you draw a circle? It, it doesn't have to be in an open space. Just draw a circle on your paper. 
If you don't, I'll put it on the screen. Let me show you. Here, here's my drawing. I'm a great artist, as you can see. So draw a circle and put a dot in the middle of it, anywhere on your bulletin or whatever. Draw a circle, put a dot in the middle of it. Look at that circle and that dot and ask yourself, honestly ask yourself this question. If the circle represents my world, that's my world, who does the dot represent? Somebody up here, Chad, I think, said me. I think if we're honest, all of us would probably say, generally speaking, that's our default answer. I am the center of my world. Me, it's about me. But what we see here in Hebrews chapter 11 is that these are stories told about people who would say, you know, honestly, the answer, the dot, is actually God. God is the center. And that takes faith. It takes faith to put God in the center, to recognize that everything truly, and make all your decisions based on the fact that everything truly revolves around Him, not you. We all need to be that way. That's the main point of the chapter. It's the main point of the sermon. We all need to have faith enough to admit that God is in charge and that He is the center of our world, the center of the whole world, the center of all that matters. And whether we understand everything about Him or not, whether we like all that we understand and see in Him or not, should not change anything. He is the center of all that matters, and we need to be humble enough wise enough to bow our hearts and our lives before Him in absolute surrender. I mean absolute, hands in the air, knees bowed, and just say, Lord, I am all Yours. Absolute surrender, obedience, worship, pursuit of You. It is all about You, not about me. That needs to be all of us, all the time. It's difficult because a lot of times when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, the problem with the living sacrifice is that living sacrifices tend to crawl their way off of the altar. That's what I do. That's what a lot of us do. But we need to say, Lord, I want to completely surrender to you in every way. And if, big if, if we can learn from those who have gone before us, learning to trust in Jesus with all of our heart, all that we are, then we too like these in Hebrews 11, as is promised of them, will inherit an eternal reward beyond anything this world can offer or even begin to imagine. Terry Looper, probably don't know that name, maybe somebody does, but most of you probably don't. Terry Looper is the founder of Texon, a Houston-based energy company. And this week I read a quote of his, and I loved it. He said this, Being aware of our need for God is our greatest strength. When we lean on Him, we can do anything that He has planned and purposed for us to do. Exchanging our weakness for the Lord's strength enables us to, be, to avoid making the mistake that the psalmist decried when he said, and this is Psalms 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Looper went on to say, so think about it. A life is in vain. A business is in vain. Your marriage, your parenting, your, everything is in vain if you do not do it with the right foundation. This is what our little kingdoms come to if we strive to accomplish anything minus our true strength, which again, as he explained, is being aware of our need for God. Aware that we are nothing without God, that we have to, we, 
without any hesitation, need to trust in Him in every detail of our life. So that's why we desperately need to learn from the stories that have come before us, of those like we read here and others. Learn to be wise. Learn to be people of faith. Learn to put our faith and hope in Jesus rather than anything this world has to offer. Because this world is not our ultimate home. We, again, are strangers. We're aliens. We're foreigners. All those words apply to us or should in our mind because it is not about us and it's not about this world. It's about what is to come and it is about honoring and being in relationship with Almighty God. Last week, I shared at the end of the service that I have been reading through a book. Um, it, is, it is called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Uh, I've been reading it with my two boys, Ethan and Garrett. It's written by a guy named Rick Warren of Saddleback Church out in California. Um, Rick is just like you and me. I'll show you. Here's a picture. I had lunch with him not long ago. He's just like you and me. He's a regular guy. Uh, he's at a larger church than almost anybody else, and he, he's you know, done some wonderful things, but he's a flawed person. He would be quick to tell you that. He's not perfect, but he's a godly man who loves the Lord, who loves ministry, and I believe God used him to write one of the best books in modern history. It, there's two versions of it. This was the one written back in 2002. Over 5 million, no, no, over 30 million copies sold in the first five years, and then more millions more have been um, purchased as well, this being a, a remake of that um, so basically the exact same book with just a couple of extra chapters in it as well. And The Purpose Driven Life was originally published back, like I said, in 2002 and has changed all kinds of lives because God, I believe, led Rick Warren to write a powerful book, maybe one of the best books in uh, non-fiction books of all time. It's designed to be a 40-day spiritual journey to help readers answer the simple question, it says it right down the front, what on earth am I here for? Or what is my purpose on this earth? It's designed to be 40 short one-day-at-a-time chapters. So in other words, 40 days, or actually this one's 42 days. And uh, if you're looking, let me just tell you this. If you're looking for more purpose, if you're struggling to find purpose in your life or hope or meaning or focus, then I invite you to also pick up a copy. Kim found copies yesterday down at the uh, uh, Ark or Goodwill for like two bucks. There were tons of them there, people that have read it and turned it in or whatever. Go buy one, pick it up. It is a fantastic book to help you. The reason it is powerful is because it's based on the powerful Word of God. He does a good job of making all of his points based on, or they all flow downstream from God's Word. Well, earlier this week on day six of, of, a chapter, or of the 40 days, I mean, Ethan and Garrett and I came across a chapter focused on what do you know, but what I'm reading about, or what I was preaching about today. I was like, oh, that's cool. I've been thinking about Hebrews 11 and the concept of faith all week. And boom, just the other day, we came to a chapter all about that. And I want to just read you a little bit of that as we close this morning. i got to put on my glasses, which I hate, but here we go. <laughs> I'm in denial. I don't hardly ever wear them. <clears throat> but here we go. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Thank you. <laughs> Here's what he says. In order to keep us from becoming too attached to earth, God allows us to feel a significant amount of discontent and dissatisfaction in life. Longings that will never be fulfilled on this side of eternity. We're not completely happy here because we're not supposed to be. Earth is not our final home. We were created for something so much better. A fish would never be happy on land because it was made for water. 
An eagle can never be satisfied if it weren't allowed to fly. You will never feel completely satisfied on earth because you were made for more than earth. You will have happy moments here, but nothing compared with what God has planned for you. Realizing that life on earth is just a temporary assignment should radically alter your values. Eternal values, not temporal ones, should become the deciding factor for your decisions. As C.S. Lewis observed, all that is not eternal is eternally useless. The Bible says, and this is 2 Corinthians 4, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. It is a fatal mistake, friends, to assume that God's goal for your life is material prosperity or popular success as the world defines it. The abundant life that God talks about in John 10 has nothing to do with material abundance. And faithfulness to God does not necessarily guarantee success in a career or even in ministry. Never temporary crowns. Paul was faithful, yet he ended up in prison. John the Baptist was faithful, but he was beheaded. Millions of faithful people have been martyred, have lost everything, or have come to the end of life with nothing to show for it. But the end of life is not the end. In God's eyes, the greatest heroes of faith are not those who achieve prosperity, success, power. They are those who treat this life as a temporary assignment and serve faithfully, expecting their promises their promised reward in eternity. The Bible says this about God's hall of fame. This is what we read earlier. All these great people died in faith. They did not get the things that God promised his people, but they saw them coming far in the future and were glad. They said they were like visitors, strangers on earth. They were waiting for a better country, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared a city for them. Friends, your time on earth is not the complete story of your life. You must wait until heaven for the rest of the chapters. And it takes faith to live as a foreigner on this earth. An old story is told, often repeated, about a retiring missionary coming home to America who happened to be on the same boat as the President of the United States. Cheering crowds, a military band, red carpet, banners, the media, they all welcomed the President home but the missionary slipped off the side of the ship unnoticed. Feeling self-pity and resentment, he began complaining to God. But then God gently reminded him, Oh, my child, remember, you are not home yet. You will not be in heaven two seconds, friends, before you cry out, Why did I place so much importance on the things of this world that are so temporary? What was I thinking? Why did I waste so much time, energy, and concern for what wasn't going to last? When life gets tough, and when you're overwhelmed with doubt, or you wonder if living for Christ is worth the effort, remember that you, like that missionary, are not home yet. At death, you won't leave home. You will go home. I want to ask if you would just stand.